A potential merger between St. Louis and St. Louis County has taken up a lot of oxygen in the metro area, and it's also caught the attention of Missouri lawmakers like State Representative Dean Plocker. The Republican from St. Louis County is sponsoring a constitutional amendment that would require a local vote for a city-county merger. And he joins us on Politically Speaking to talk about what his proposal would mean for the debate. Let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a political correspondent with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio uh, on this Monday morning before he heads to the Capitol in Jefferson City. Dean Plocker. Great to be here, Jason. Thank you. We're going to be talking a lot about the city-county merger, which, while is a local issue, has really caught the attention of Missouri legislators from both parties. And Representative Plocker has sponsored a resolution that could go to the ballot alongside the so-called Better Together initiative, or perhaps before. So before we talk about the, the politics and the, the wrangling over that uh, over the merger in general, just explain what your constitutional amendment would do from a practical standpoint. Really, it's quite simple. It simply says that in the event that the merger is proposed as it is and, the, and they get enough signatures, it goes on the ballot through the Better Together initiative petition that if there's a statewide vote that says the city and the county should merge, then my proposition is is that the city and the county should also have an independent voice in that merger. And that's simply a tenet of democracy for local control, I believe. And that's why I did it. I think it's up to St. Louis City and County independently to decide whether they should merge or not, not the state as a whole. Let's talk about it from a practical standpoint. Let's say uh, legislators put your initiative or a similar initiative. There's been other lawmakers who have kind of proposed basically what you're proposing. And I want to go through two different scenarios. Let's say you it gets put on this particular measure that you're sponsoring gets put on the ballot in August, and then the Better Together initiative is voted on in November, and they both pass. What would happen? Well, what's beautiful about these initiative petitions and, and things that would change the Constitution is basically a, a lawyer employment vehicle. Uh, really, a lot of people have different ideas of what could happen. The, the HJR that, that I proposed would go on the November ballot in conjunction with the, the initiative petition. It would be up to the governor to put it on the August ballot. Now, I would prefer that because I think that would clear things up. If my HJR 54 calling for a city-county vote independent of a state vo- statewide vote were to go on the August ballot, and if it were to pass, then I believe that would be controlling regardless of what what happened in November. Mm-hmm. So would that mean, in, in that scenario, we're going to talk about the other scenario in a second, would that mean that even if the Better Together initiative passed, if yours passed in August, would that effectively nullify the the effectiveness of the Better Together plan, or would you basically have to have a second vote in the city and the county? You would have to have a second vote in the city and the county. It doesn't nullify the Better Together initiative petition. In fact, my position on the Better Together initiative petition is that I'm not taking a position on that. 
I believe that there is important discussion to be had on how the region can perform better. I've commended Better Together to, to you know, for invigorating that discussion. My theory here is that one of the tenets of democracy is the, the right to decide who you're governed by, uh, local control, the consent of the governed, the right to self-determination. And I believe St. Louis City and County should have the direct voice in determining that. So it doesn't really impact the initiative petition. So let's talk about what you mentioned before, the lawyer employment scenario. And let's say that both the Better Together initiative and your constitutional amendment are voted on at the same time, and they both pass at the same time. I've heard various theories about what would happen from the Better Together initiative would still go into effect to you would still have to have a local vote because they pass at the same time. Um, my guess is this will be hashed out in the courts for years, potentially. What, what's kind of your theory as a lawyer about what would happen if these both passed at the same time? Well, I think we can alleviate that problem by having the governor, if this were to pass the House and the Senate, by having the governor put this initiative uh, that I've proposed, HR 54, on the August ballot. But were it not to go on the August ballot, if it were to go on the November ballot, there's language in mind calling for a city-county vote independently that if it's passed concurrently with the initiative petition of Better Together, that mine would supersede that. Now, that is the lawyer's dream come true because that would be lit- litigated forever. If, if it, depending on whatever the court might say about that, another theory or thought is, is that, and this is, it's, it's a law that says whatever competing petitions are on the, on the ballot, the one that gets the most votes controls. So therefore, I would be I would certainly be pushing the independent voice of city county to get the most to get the most votes. I'm going to play devil's advocate here with kind of the argument from the pro better together side. They may see an initiative like yours, our representative Lakeisha Bosley's uh, constitutional amendment, which I think are fairly similar, um, as kind of a poison pill because in in the views of people that are t- trying to take the better together initiative statewide. Uh, there's really no path to to victory if you do it in a local vote, just because traditionally every city-county merger has failed in the city and the county. And this is just a way to essentially block what they feel is a transformative plan. How would you respond to that argumentation? Well, I certainly think their plan is transformative. It also obviates democracy in my my mind. And, And that was the testimony in committee. In fact, Better Together didn't have anyone at the the committee hearing for this this HJR. One of the tenets of democracy is to control your own government that you live under. And here we're trying to have the state of Missouri through the Better Together plan determine our local government. I think that uh, flies in the face of local control and what kind of government I want to live in, in in Missouri. And I don't think St. Louis should be deciding what kind of local government those that live under in Kansas City should be deciding. I think you've actually had some experience working with municipal government. You were a municipal judge before you were a state lawmaker. And just to take this issue more broadly and talk about the concept of city-county merger, do you you believe that the way St. Louis County and St. Louis City are, are basically organized right now puts those two jurisdictions in the best footing? Because a lot of people, even people that don't like this plan, would argue that having all these cities and all these municipal courts and all these police departments and competition everywhere is just not the way to go for St. Louis. So I'd be interested in your point on the overall topic. Yes, certainly. And we've had these discussions ourselves offline. 
You know, serving as a municipal judge in North County, I witnessed a lot of problems that St. Louis has confronted with the region as a whole. I certainly think our region can perform better. I've given accolades to Better Together to help craft this discussion as to what we can do better as a city and a county and as a region. So, no, I don't think St. Louis is running on all cylinders, St. Louis County. And we, our government right now seems to be in turmoil in St. Louis County. St. Louis City is, has been on the decline in my entire lifetime, 50 years. So, no, things can be done better. They should be done better. And I think that the region's citizens should have direct voice in how it should be done better. I commend the, the idea that we are having these discussions. These discussions need to be had. They need to be vetted. And I think it should be up to us to do that. I, I, I do encourage municipalities to merge. I do encourage consolidation of, of resources so that we can perform better with less bureaucracy. There's far too much bureaucracy. I think sometimes when you, uh, when you have too many burdensome local regulations, it's not about local control. It's about local oppression. So I, I actually have filed some bills to help control some of this, what I view as local oppression. But local control is often thrown around far too easily or in a, in a cavalier sense. But I do believe that the right to self-determination and the government that you were governed by is, speaks to directly local control. One of the interesting things about how this proposal has been viewed in the Missouri legislature is even though there are lots of partisan divides in Jefferson City, you seem to actually have a lot of alliances among disparate groups. So you have very conservative Republicans, especially from St. Louis County, who have traditionally opposed any city-county merger plan, are totally against this plan and are probably for what you're doing. You also have a lot of Democrats, including African-American Democrats and more progressive Democrats who may actually be philosophically for a merger with you again because of the statewide vote aspect. But I think that the big question here, we've talked a little bit about this offline. I've asked uh, some of the leaders of the House and Senate this question, too, is what leadership that does not live in St. Louis or St. Louis County think of this? And by leadership, I mean Republican leadership. You're a pretty prominent member of your caucus. You're the chairman of the General Laws Committee. Um, so you obviously have an influential voice in your caucus. How do you think that this plan is being received by members of GOP leadership, and how how realistic do you think it is that it will actually get debate and, and possibly passage through one or both chambers? Well, if I anything, have anything to do with it, Jason, this, this is going to get brought to the floor sooner than later. It's certainly going to get sent over to the Senate and, and hopefully be on the ballot in November of 2020 or hopefully August. I believe that my caucus is, is scratching their head going, why is this before us? Why do we need to be voting on what kind of government that you have in, in St. Louis? And, and that's my whole point. What would, it, what would happen to you if you lived in rural Missouri and St. Louis was putting something on the ballot that would affect your local government? And I, I say to the, the people of the state of Missouri, this, look, look, look what's going on here. This has far-reaching effects. If this proposal is doing this, a merger, forcing the merger through a statewide vote with the idea that consolidation saves money, we're talking almost one and a half million people. Mm. Missouri has 113 counties on or about. Some counties have 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people. Shouldn't, shouldn't you or couldn't you then argue that some of those counties could be consolidated? I, I don't think St. Louis needs to be deciding on the merger of some rural Missouri counties or across state counties of any kind. I think that's up to those counties. The caucus that I'm in, the Republican caucus, I, I think 
feels much the same way and that they don't want to be voting on what is going on in St. Louis. They think it's up to us. We need to take ownership for what we have going on in St. Louis and responsibility for what we are doing and how we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Not the state of Missouri. You know, I the last person we had in the show was House Speaker Pro Tem John Weeman, who kind of has a similar view as you. Like, I don't think he's a, a huge fan of how St. Louis and St. Louis County are, are organized. He's from St. Charles County, so he's kind of an uninterested observer. But he, too, told me that the idea that this is being done statewide is just unacceptable to him. And when I asked him, like, have you been lobbied by the pro-merger forces, he said, in the beginning, yes. But in the last, like, few weeks, the the pressure really has kind of dissipated. And Senate Majority Leader Caleb Rowden said the same thing. I, I assume that the Better Together people are probably not coming to people like you and other merger opponents. But what do you think it means that like leadership are not really feeling the amount of pressure they maybe have felt at the beginning of the session when this proposal was just rolled out? It, it does seem, I know this is a very insular question, but it does seem like an important important point here. Well, I, I definitely think it's important on who's lobbying who. And we know that there are lobbyists all over Jeff City. And, and for that matter, any political entity has lobbying going on. And I don't believe the Better Together people are, are really lobbying me too hard anymore. I mean, that's my perception. And I don't know if they really ever did. I think they, they, you know, they don't like what I proposed. They do maybe view it as a poison pill, but I view it as an essential component of democracy. I do think, though, that they are lobbying, um, particularly in leadership and over in the Senate. That's my perception. Whether that is true or not, I mean, it's just rumor. Well, I think that because there's no filibuster in the House, if this came to the floor, it could pass relatively easily because of the bipartisan coalition that I mentioned, especially if you get your outstate colleagues on board with it. I don't even think it's going to be that close. Obviously, you probably have seen a lot of ideas that have passed easily out of the House get filibustered into oblivion in the Senate. I'm not really sure if this sort of dynamic will exist just because there are fewer people. And if you influence three or four people to filibuster something, that could be the the way to, to run this aground. Have you talked to any members of the Senate about how this might fare if it gets the, gets to that chamber? Or are you just focused on getting it to, through the House right now? Well, I think first things first, I need to, to get it through the House. However, I have you know preemptively gone over to the Senate with the hope that they would take it up. And my contention is, is that my feeling is, is that they will, uh, regardless of whether there might be one or two filibusters in the in the chamber. Um, you know, we've got five weeks to go. I don't. I don't have a problem with calling people out. I mean, if they want to bring it to the floor, find out who's going to filibuster it and, and, and go from there. That creates different tactics in the Senate as well. The horse trading that's going on this time of year becomes interesting. I, this is another detailed question, but I think it, it does. It, it is important based off the first line of question they had. Is it possible for legislators to specifically dictate when this would go on the ballot? For example, if you wanted to put in an amendment that said this has to go August 2020 or even August 2019, could you potentially do that? Or are you just willing to let the governor decide on that? I'm willing to let the governor decide. I think the uh, he has a, a good idea of what the pulse of the state is. And, and I'm also attentive to the, the cost for the state. I, I, I'm not out to spend the state's money wantonly. I think it can be had in, in August of 2020. Um, I would certainly ask that that be considered as a, as a good date to put it on. I know that the, the provision calls for, for November as a, just a standard rule. 
we don't really have anything on the ballot this August. To run a statewide election for a special election would be too costly and burdensome. I don't think the people should have to pay for that. We already have an August 2020 primary that I imagine will be quite big. So we can put it on that ballot. The, the only other question I have on this topic before we get into more general conversation is I know you don't pay super, super close attention to St. Louis County level politics, but it does seem like the debate over the merger has definitely changed a little bit since the county executive of St. Louis County has run into some legal issues. Have you, When you're talking with your colleagues, have you sensed whether that had any effect on whether an initiative like yours gained more momentum, just the whole chaos going on with the county? Or do, or do you kind of feel like the uh, upsetness over this plan predated any particular event or any turmoil that's going on in county government right now? And I only mention this because they had to change their actual plan from giving Stanger like a lot of power as the, the metro mayor to having co-metro mayor because of the unpopular nature of that particular part. So that's the reason I'm asking that question. My perception is that the concerns of St. Louis County citizens and St. Louis City citizens regarding their government is is really just local. I don't know or do not believe that my my colleagues across the state are really aware of what go, is going on in St. Louis County or St. Louis City government. Um, I'm not so certain they even care. I, I do believe that they would stand by the idea that they should ha- control their own government locally. I think the concern that we have as St. Louis County residents, city residents, is that our leadership seems to be failing us and that there is a lot of concern with what's going on in St. Louis County right now. Um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of investigations. I'm glad Better Together was at least changing their process. And I think they're going to continue to have to change their process. And I think one thing they could change and, and certainly address is the need to sell their idea to the St. Louis County and St. Louis citizens, St. Louis City citizens, on why we need to adopt their their policy of merging the city. It's not about the state dis- determining what kind of government we have in our backyard. It's, a, it's up to us to determine what kind of government we have in our backyard. And I think the state of Missouri should be remindful of the fact that if it happens to us, it could happen to them too. We'll be right back after this brief message to talk with Representative Plocker about his expectations for the last few weeks of session. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Representative Dean Plocker. I'm going to just give you a very open-ended opportunity to, to muse on the last few weeks of session. Uh, a lot of major bills have passed through the House. Uh, some have actually passed through the Senate, dealing with transportation, low-income housing tax credits. Uh, some have not passed, like, education-related things. What do you think are going to be the major things lawmakers are going to take up in the last few weeks of the session that, that we should be aware of? Well, I I believe, if my memory serves me correct, it's House Bill 1066, uh, Representative Jim Hansen's bill. It's about the Grain Belt Express. There's going to be a big rally up at the Capitol this Tuesday uh, concerning uh, property rights. I think that is a very important component of what we stand for in Missouri. Uh, the, The Grain Belt Express was just given authority to push its power lines through the state of Missouri, uh, through the Public Service Commission a few weeks ago in a ruling. Uh, I've taken up uh, mindful consideration of uh, opposition to that in that that Grain Belt Express electric line that's going to wa- run from Kansas and run straight through Missouri to points east was only going to dump 12.5% of its energy in the state of Missouri, or that's what they're proposing to do. I don't know if that's in the best interest of Missouri citizens to take their property away from them to only dump 12.5% of their energy, of the energy that that would be generated through those power lines in the state of Missouri. 
Um, so that that's coming up. That that rally will be interesting. I think we're going to see venue joined across the line that the bill that passed the Senate. And, and just before we get to that, can you just kind of explain what Representative Hansen's bill would do? Like, would it basically make it more difficult to use eminent domain for this project, or or what would it actually do to potentially combat? This? Certainly, for the listeners, yes, it's an eminent domain bill for the Public Service Commission or, or for a utility company to to string power lines across your property and the requirements that would be placed therein. It, it would make it more difficult for a, for a private entity to do it. There's other nuances, too, that I maybe a little bit too deep to get into here. It would get very weedy and uh, yeah, intricate. But I just want to make sure we give a sense of what, what it would actually do. And the venue joinder actually passed the Senate um, after a pretty lengthy debate. Explain what that is, because it's it's kind of a it's kind of a complicated theory for the layman, but for 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 attorneys and for people in the legal community, for businesses, it could be a pretty big deal. Explain what that is and how you think it's going to fare in the House. Well, venue joinder is the where the venue is that you sue, what what county you get to sue in, uh, what 113 counties you get to choose from on where you sue, and the joinder is who you can compel or ask that they join you in the defense or the the prosecution of your claim. So with with tort reform certainly on the minds of, of many of us, uh, we've had some wayward cases filed that perhaps shouldn't have been filed in the venues that they were filed in. Um, the, the joinder component gets a little bit more tricky as to who you should be able to defend yourself with. I, I happen to prefer being able to, to join defendants a little bit easier so that you can stand up and protect your rights. It's hard to do sometimes when you're going up against a wealthy corporation. It's good to be able to defend yourself with a group of you. But I, I think there's an appetite for it. I think it was passed in the Senate with some with some consideration and some leeway given to both sides. I believe they they negotiated that out. I believe it comes through the House substantially the same, if not the same. Uh, by the time it comes through, it may not have time to go back over to the Senate anyway. I, the bonding bill that the Senate just heard, and I know it needs to be third read. I believe the Senate was talking about third reading that today. And we're recording this on Monday, by the way, but continue. So... Uh, it, it would be third read and then come over to the House. I, I believe, again, that's a compromise. I, I really don't like borrowing money, and I wasn't thrilled with the idea that we would borrow as much as they were proposing. But uh, listening to the compromises that were made, I mean, you know, there's never a perfect bill, I guess. And we have to determine what our priorities are. Transportation is certainly a priority that should be on the minds of most Missourians to be able to, to take their food to market, to be able to get to the store to shop. And Interstate 70 has the Roachport Bridge, which is a huge problem that if that were to be shut down, our commerce in the state would certainly be impacted. And therefore, we wouldn't may, may not be as attractive to other companies or, or commerce that would flow through the state. I know I keep bringing up this idea because I came up with it. And I would, you know, just from a purely egotistical standpoint, it would be fun to see an, an idea that I, you know, made up actually happen. But would a possible extra compromise of the bonding initiative be that you do bonding the same way before, but just have $100 million payments for a few years? And we were talking about this with uh, Speaker Pro Tem Weeman. I guess the problem with that is that you may have banks that are hesitant to take on that debt because the return would not be as high as if you strung it out over 7 or 15 years. But on the other hand, we're talking about interest that is being paid for by tax dollars. And it seems like that is a literal amalgamation of the Cody Smith plan and the Dave Schatz plan, and you would probably minimize interest more than even stringing it out towards seven years. What, what's kind of your thoughts on that, with the caveat that that may not actually be possible to 
execute. Well, Jason, I think you bring in a good point, and that was why are we borrowing so much money? Why are we paying a higher interest rate? And what does that do to Missouri citizens? What does it do to our, our, our budget every year? So we did the, – the gas tax failed to pass uh, for whatever reason, uh, many. But uh, when you, the, the original proposal was to borrow, uh, what was it, $300 million? I think this was 350, something like that. And the, the compromise that you mentioned would borrow $300 million if you get the federal funding and then would dedicate $50 million directly to bridges. So the, the $50 million I mentioned will not have bonding attached to it. The $300 million will if uh, the state gets federal money. Before, it was just a, a straight-up bonding plan. But it was straight-up, and I believe that the, uh, the federal – Aid is somewhere in the neighborhood of 170 million. I think so. And, and I was not at the table. Let me tell you, I was not at the table for negotiating right. this. And and I think the House will be interested to hear the details of this if it comes before us, and w- which I anticipate it will. This was a, a, a an agreement done in the Senate in the late night hours of bringing everybody together. So it was a compromise. Um, your idea of shortening the duration of the debt and the term of the bonds, I, I'm all for if we can do it. Um, I think the less interest we pay, the better it is for our citizenry. But again, this was a negotiation that was done by Senator Schatz, who's, in my mind, done a great job over in the Senate. Rowden has done a good job. Um, I mean, they're they're both rookies here, if you will, in, in leadership in the Senate. So uh, the Senate's a different, different world. I, I scratch my head often at how the Senate does things. But I, I do believe that they have our best interest at heart on how they, they put this plan together. There's the conservative caucus over there that I, I really like the way they stood it stood up for not borrowing as much as you, you can and, it's and very, trying to pay it back I soon. was just going to say it's been interesting to see how this conservative caucus has been operating, that they're really trying to uh, press for compromise and not just trying to block things. But I know that they're probably irritating a whole lot of people by doing that. But they seem to be reasonably successful with a situation like this. I don't know. Well, they seem to certainly exert their influence in, in, in a rational way in this bill, or, I, yeah, bonding. The last topic I want to touch on, as I mentioned before, low-income housing tax credits have passed out of the Senate. It still has to pass out of the House. When we had Representative Deb Lavender on the show, she kind of mentioned that there may be uh, some changes to that where the House tries to take a higher percentage of the federal. Because right now, as the bill stands, it would be about 77 and a half percent of the federal outlay. I wouldn't be surprised if the House went a little bit higher and there's kind of like a middle ground that ends up being done. But it does seem like this issue is going to get resolved and that tax credit's going to be reactivated. I, I don't know if you've been intricately involved in that process, but it, since it's going to be a major issue, I, I thought I would ask you about it. Well, it was certainly, I was a little bit more involved last year when I was on economic development. This year, it's, it's, it's taken a path uh, that I have not been a part of. But I do believe there's a, an avenue to get this done. Whether it goes back to the Senate, I'm not certain. Um, I, I think that there's a conservative element trying to tighten how much is, is, is used in that program as well, as well as those in, that are trying to say, hey, listen, we still need to fund some very important components here uh, for what our citizens need in Missouri. I, again, I think that gets done. Uh, the process will take out, take, you know, it will take its toll on this whole program on what LIHTC is and is not able to do. But I, I'm positive something good comes about. Well, thank you very much for joining with joining me right before you had to go to Jefferson City. I always appreciate people uh, t- uh, multitasking and, and scheduling me in before you have to go uh, do the people's work. Jason, I appreciate you having me on the show. I think it's important for the people to know what we're working on down there. I think it's important to advocate for uh, democracy, for local control, to have a voice down there for St. Louis City and St. Louis County. 
And um, I think the more our legislators hear from us um, on that matter and many others, it's a it's a good day. So I, thank you. I can guarantee you we'll be talking about the city-county merger just a little bit more over the next couple of years. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you either on Twitter, Facebook, or any other parts of the World Wide Web? Um, I'm on Dean Plocker at, at Twitter.com. Uh, I'm not a great Facebook fan, um, and I'm always available downtown or down in Jeff City as well. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long. Thank you.